Hey, good morning. How are y'all? Some beautiful music today, wasn't it? Uh, let's see. Today we are moving on into a new series called Blood, Guts, and Fire, because that's just an awesome sermon series title, Blood, Guts, and Fire. And uh, you'll see why we're doing that in a little while. But let me just ask you a quick question. Um, can you think of a time where you got a gift uh, that you didn't understand or that wasn't, you know, something that um, you thought was all that good? Uh, for whatever reason, this week I was thinking about uh, one of the gifts that my wife and I got after um, our wedding. I got a wedding gift. And um, you could probably think of some of the things you got from friends or family at your wedding. Uh, but one of the ones that sticks out for me in terms of gifts that just didn't make a whole lot of sense was uh, my wife was unwrapping gifts and she pulled out a soap dish and she said, oh, we got a soap dish. I was like, cool, we need a soap dish. And she looked at it and she said, it's a used soap dish. <laughs> and somebody had re-gifted it to us. And uh, we've always kind of looked at it going, which of that friends was it? Because it didn't have a label on it. We we're always like, which, who hated us? Who, who re-gifted, you know? Uh, we've always looked at that. And then um, I also want you just to think about um, times where you've given a gift that, um, you know, went far and beyond, you know, what you expected. Like you gave a gift and it meant more to that person than, than they ever realized, right? Uh, my wife and I last year were able to um, put some money aside to send our girls to Washington, D.C. to go and uh, visit the nation's capital, see my sister, and um, this is their first time to ever go on an airplane. <clears throat> and so they were a little anxious about that, a little concerned about that. And uh, I still remember last year when they were uh, looking at the app for United Airlines and my daughter looked up to me and she said, Daddy, what, is, what does economy mean? <laughs> and I said, well, that's kind of like in the back of the plane. She said, well, you know, um, you gave us economy tickets and we kind of think of ourselves as first class children. And, uh, <laughs> But uh, they were traveling as unaccompanied minors, and that means that, well, one, dad gets to pay some extra dollars, and then the other is that the whole flight, um, the airline attendants, you know, gave them special attention. Like, uh, my daughters were telling me on the, when they got back that they would uh, bring them extra treats, extra snacks, and extra food. You know, usually on airlines, they just kind of throw peanuts at you, and um, this one, the airline attendants took care of them, made sure they had all the, the treats they wanted, and one of my kids even came home with like a whole bag full of snacks from the airline uh, because they, you know, were so, so cared for by these people. And um, when they got back, you know, they'd had a wonderful trip, and my wife and I thought, it was just amazingly well-spent money that they got to go meet my sister. And then, you know, it was just like a gift that just kept on giving. Not only did they get to go there, but my wife and I got to have a, like a whole week without kids in our house, and that was pretty cool too. So uh, it was really a really good thing. And, and I bring those up because um, I, I was thinking about, you know, what, what makes life good? You know, my daughters were miles above the, the clouds, enjoying great snacks and having a great time. And it was like the good life, you know. Uh, but it just invited me to think about that, that, you know, much of our lives we spend trying to get to those places uh, where we enjoy our life, where all is well, where we trust that we're taken care of and that the future is going to bring about good things. You know, that's much of what we spend our time doing. And um, 
throughout the history of humanity, uh, we have come up with all sorts of ways to bring the good future that we desire about, or to bring the good future that God desires about. And one of those things that we do is that we, we make sacrifices, we offer, we make offerings, we give uh, with the understanding that if we give up something or contribute something, it's going to result in good things happening in the future. And, um, you know, whether it is that we are re-gifting a soap dish or we're making real sacrifices that cost us, um, we have a, a sort of an understanding of, of how all this would work out. And when it comes to gift-gifting or giving gifts or making contributions or sacrifices, there's a, a huge chunk of the Bible devoted to that understanding of it. And we're going to spend just a brief amount of time looking at some instructions on how do you give a gift to God, right? And um, it comes from a book called uh, Leviticus, which instantly makes people's eyes glaze over. It's magical. You just mention Leviticus and they go, oh, because it's oftentimes the book that um, stopped their intention of reading the whole Bible. Like they get Genesis, Exodus is amazing. They get to Leviticus and they go, what is Netflix got going on? Um, but it's a really beautiful book, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in it because, not because I want you to all follow Levitical law, not because I think that it holds all the keys and answers to life, but because it, it reframes the way we look at the good news of the gospel. And if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open it up to Leviticus chapter 2. It'll be on the screen as, as well. It'll be, on, it'll be on the screen as well, but you can pull it up on your phone. Um, Leviticus chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 11. And in this particular passage, Moses is getting directions on how to give a grain offering. How do you give a good grain offering? You've always wondered, right? How do you give a good grain offering? And here it is. It says, uh, no grain offering that you give to the Lord can be made with yeast. You probably knew that, right? No yeast. You must not completely burn any yeast or honey as a food gift to the Lord. You can present those as first choice offerings to the Lord, but they must not be entirely burned up on the altar as a soothing smell. Uh, you must season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not omit the salt of your God's covenant with the grain offering. You must offer salt with all your offerings. If you present a grain offering to the Lord from the first produce, you must make such an offering from the crushed heads of newly ripe grain roasted with fire. You must put oil and frankincense on it, and as a grain offering, the priest will completely burn the token portion, some of the crushed new grain and oil, along with all the frankincense as a food gift for the Lord. So that's how you give a good grain offering. All right. Have a good week. All right. Um, but the... Uh, but the whole passage revolves around how would somebody give a gift of, of grain? And um, I picked this one because all around it are other examples of, of how to give gifts to God. And some of them are really bloody and messy. That's the blood, guts, and fire part, right? Uh, that God tells them, you know, if you own cattle and you want to make a donation of cattle to God, if you want to contribute, make a sacrifice of cattle because that's your, your stock and trade, then here's how you do it. And then all down the line of, if you don't have enough money to give a, a cow, 
you could give a goat all the way down to, well, sparrows. And then you get to the grain offering. And when I looked at the grain offering, I thought, oh, there's a good buy-in. Not a big deal. If we were going to contribute a grain offering, what would we do? We would go to the grocery store. We would buy a bag of flour. And we would bring it to church. And we'd go, there you go, Lord. There is our contribution. We have given our bag of flour, right? And for a few bucks, we would know what? Things were good between us and God. I mean, that's the payoff, right? Things are good between us and God. We give an offering and we say, there you go, God. This is what you asked for. You asked for a grain offering. And I've done my part. Therefore, I know that my business is going to continue to go well. My kids are going to grow up and go to good colleges. And life will be blessed, right? That's kind of how we think about things. And then when you really begin to think about the whole process, uh, if you were actually going to do this back in that time, one, you'd have to go find some wheat. Uh, you would have to harvest it, you'd have to thresh it, which means beat the tar out of it, right? You'd have to thrash it, and then you'd have to winnow it, and then you'd have to find a way to grind it, and then you would bring it forth. And it's not just a coarse grain that God wants. God wants a very fine, refined kind of baking grain, right? And so a whole lot of work and effort would have gone into giving up the grain offering, uh, so it is labor-intensive just as much as it would have been to raise a cow from birth to the time when you brought it to the place of sacrifice. And all along the way, you would have been invested in the process, right? It would have been your blood and sweat that would have brought these things about, and you would have brought your best, your best offerings. Leviticus is very clear that you're not there to, if you were... Like in the business of sheep at the end of Leviticus, it talks about donating sheep for sacrifice. And it's very clear. It says if you try and give like your, you know, bargain basement discount sheep, God's not going to put up with that, right? It says not only do you have to give that one, but then God wants your best one as well, right? You have to give of your, your best. And that's what God desires. That's what's a... Pleasing, pleasing fragrance unto the Lord is how all those things get summarized. When you do the offering right, it becomes a pleasing fragrance unto the Lord. I had a worship leader one time who was trying to quote that passage, and I think he read the King James Bible or whatever, and he said, Lord, I just pray that the songs that we sing today are a pleasing aroma up into your nostrils today. <laughs> Did you know God had nostrils? Like, that was just too funny to me. But you know what he was saying. He's like, I just pray that everything that we give in our worship and in our songs is pleasing unto you. And um, not only is it just the grain, but it's also, what, salt and some oil, frankincense. Only other time we talk about frankincense is when the wise men bring frankincense to baby Jesus. But it was a costly incense that made the aroma smell well. In order to make it work, incense has to be crushed and ground, right? And then ultimately, all of it was burned, you know, offered up to God. And why, why did they burn it? I don't know. I always thought it was like a practical matter of if you burn the grain, it wasn't like you're going to come back around and go, I really meant to only give this much. You know, if it's burned, it's gone. You know, it's, it's in God's hands. I think it made it final. And so that is the grain offering. And, um, well, why does it matter? 
Well, like I said, you know, there's just a part of us that knows the power of, of sacrifice. I, my wife and I knew the power of setting aside some money in order to help my girls go on a trip. And I think when we talk about our lives, we know the power of giving and sacrifice that in giving small donations to good causes or giving part of what we have to uh, our time and our resources. It goes to the betterment of our communities. Um, we know the power of sacrifice in that also it helps us draw closer to God. I mean, one of the most mind-blowing pieces of this first three parts, three chapters of Leviticus is that these people aren't giving offerings. They aren't giving tithes or anything because they feel guilty or, or they're doing it out of obligation. I mean, think about that. Why do you give? Why do you contribute? Do you do it because you feel guilty? You're trying to set things right? Or, or do you do it out of obligation? It's just routine? You know, you kind of bring your bag of flour, no real cost, but you know you're supposed to. And that the first three parts of it, all these people are, are giving and they're giving of all that they have and of their first fruits and of their best because why? They're thankful. They're thankful. The reason they give an offering is because they, they want to thank God. They're grateful for where they are. And if you look at the history of it, where are they? They're out in the wilderness, but they're free. They've been delivered from slavery. They used to be somebody's property. They used to be somebody's possession. Their kids didn't matter. Their lives didn't matter. Their work didn't matter. Nothing mattered. Then God hears their cry and gives them an exodus from that life. And then on Sinai, give, God gives them a law and says, now that you're my people, this is how you can stay free. You were once slaves, but you don't know how to live free. You don't know how to live this life that I desire for you. And so he gives them step-by-step -step instructions. You know, when kids are little, we give them training wheels. And I look at Leviticus like God saying, here are some basics. Here's how you could live your life in a way that will keep you free. And part of that is this offering, this giving of your life. And it really was giving of life, right? Because what does grain turn into? Bread. One of the most commonly eaten things in the world, bread. I know some of you keto people are like, no. But bread was essential, right? It was essential to their life. And if you gave a portion of to God, that also meant that that was part of it that you didn't have for your friends and for your family, for your children. If you gave a portion of that to God, that meant that that was missing. It wasn't like it was all of a sudden going to be instantly returned. But you were saying also that with all my heart, with all my life, I, I give you thanks, God. And this small portion I set aside just because I trust in you and I believe in what you can do in my world. There'll be another harvest. There'll be another day. There'll be another spring where new cows are born and more goats are born and, and more things happen because, God, you have created this world as the ultimate gift to our lives, a world that is filled with abundance, that is a gracious and beautiful thing, an altar of the world in which God has given us far more than we could ever imagine. And God says, but you can give as well to come close, to come near, to be nearer than your skin, nearer than your next breath, nearer than the next 
pulse of your heart. That's how close God desires our life with Him to be. Not just some detached, routinized, mechanized system of living, but one that is filled with the closeness of blood, guts, and, and fire, right? That close, that real, that present. Now, every once in a while, I'll have somebody come to me and they'll say the question of, so why don't we do the things that we find in the Old Testament? Why don't we sacrifice animals or give bread or, or do all those other things? Well, part of it's historical. This, the whole sacrificial system that we find in the Old Testament pretty much ended around AD 70 when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. They didn't have a place to bring all their offerings or all their gifts, and so much of that went away. The other reality is that if it all becomes a matter of what we are doing, if it all becomes down to a technical 10% or a matter of obligation or a matter of doing it in the sight of other people so that they're impressed with our giving, it misses the point completely. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, this is one of the things that he's most outraged about. When Jesus walks into the temple, he says, you have turned this place into an atrocity rather than being a place where people come and give their whole hearts and their whole lives over to God. It's become like a tourist trap, right? And Jesus begins to talk about the realities of God in a very profound way, and he says, what, you know, what is it exactly that you think these gifts are accomplishing? If they're not bringing you closer to God, if they're not drawing you closer to God, then they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And when Jesus begins to talk about who he is, one of the things that he says is what? I am the bread. I am the bread of life, the good life, the God life. I am what feeds that life. And he even says, you know, God's known all about bread from the beginning. He gave God, gave people manna in the desert, this kind of bread-like substance in the desert. And he says, but that, that bread didn't sustain them. It didn't help them. When you and I work at it, when we labor at it, when we try and achieve, when we try and succeed, when we try and become gods unto ourselves, it doesn't last. It doesn't keep. It doesn't stay. It doesn't lead to a life that's eternal. And Jesus says, but I am the bread of life. And he doesn't just leave it at something that's far or distant. He puts it on an altar between you and I. And in John chapter 6, he even describes it in one of the most close and near ways that I could possibly imagine. You know, he's not saying it's a matter of routine, it's not a matter of religion, it's not a matter of uh, formality, but instead, when he talks about it, he says, whoever eats my flesh, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. And he's saying, you know, most foods, most achievements, most successes, they don't sustain, they don't last. But he says, but if you receive the sacrifice of my life, if you receive what God has given over into the world in me, he's saying, you will not perish. 
and I will raise you up on the last day. And he says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Do you, do you hear that closeness? Closer than the tent of meeting, closer than the temple, closer than our next breath, closer than our skin. He's saying that's how close God is through me. And just like food sustains our life, or gas sustains a car, our fuels that he's saying, that's what your life is meant to run upon, to be fueled by me. Remain in me and I in them. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me lives because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It isn't like the bread your ancestors ate and then they died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. In the synagogue where the law was read, where Leviticus would have been told. And Jesus is saying, I am what you need. I am the bread of life. I am the offering that God has placed into the world that you can receive and that will cause the world to be shaped and to be beneficial to everyone that's a part of it. I am the gift that God has given that uniquely brings life. Don't need your animals. Don't need your bag of grain from H-E-B. But you need me. And you are treasured to God. So valuable that his greatest gift is his son so that we don't have to sacrifice, so that we don't have to find ourselves in a spot where we're trying to create worlds unto our own, but rather to receive this gracious gift of life through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who draws near, that comes close, we thank you that we have a place where we can come together and be with each other, but the reality is far greater than that, that you are here in our lives each and every moment, that each moment has significance and purpose and um, is costly to you. You provided us this great gift of life. You've also promised us that our sins can be forgiven that we can be reconciled to you all because of what your son has given. We pray that he would become the fuel of our lives, that more and more we would turn to him and listen to his words, that more and more we would follow in his footsteps in terms of love and care for others, and that the sacrifices and the offerings that we give would be ones that are pleasing unto him. And all this we pray and ask in Jesus' most blessed name. Amen.